Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll take a look at our weather. And boy, it's been gorgeous. We'll talk about our Wyoming Cowboys and the weekend they had in Albuquerque. We'll talk about part two of Why I Live in Wyoming. And we'll also take a look at the National Museum of Military Vehicles in Dubois. And finally, Alfred Quorum, a 49er who passed away on the Oregon Trail. Thanks for hopping on board today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather. I guess one word describes our weather and our forecast is just absolutely unbelievable. It's gorgeous out there. Great time to be out and about. It's cooperating with everything going on. Farmers are out in the field getting their crops taken care of. Everybody's out. Probably some of the hunters would like to see some snow, but uh, let's hold off on that. But right now, our weather is just beautiful. Good time to go out and enjoy this great fall weather because we know what's right around the corner. Taking a look at sports here today on the 13th day of October. The Wyoming Cowboys were in action last Saturday in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they came out on top of a 27-14 battle. I, I say battle. It was a battle. If you watch that game, there was an unbelievable amount of hitting in that game. The action was really intense, a lot of personal fouls. Cowboys got behind 14 to nothing. Looked kind of bleak there at the start. They gave up two touchdowns, just couldn't stop New Mexico. And then that defense just settled in and was the dominant player the rest of the game. That defense and the offense showed up and and scored. Uh, so definitely a big win, a road win for the Cowboys. They are now on a bye week, which they can always use this time of year. Get everybody kind of rested up, try to get some of those injured players back in action uh, with games coming up in the future. They do have a game coming up on the 22nd in Laramie, one of the two remaining home games. and It'll be a late game. They've announced it's a 745 start for television purposes. They'll be taking on Utah State. So that's going to be rather interesting. We always have some games with Utah State that are rather intense. Uh, Last year, the Cowboys went into Logan and just totally destroyed Utah State. Utah State was the top team in the division and were just totally shocked by the Cowboys last year. So that should be an interesting game. So a late start. Hope the weather holds for the Cowboys. But again, a big victory as they beat the Lobos of New Mexico 27 to 14. In high school action, the state is getting near the end of the season. Teams have two more weeks left in their regular season before the playoffs start. So big games coming up for a lot of schools right now. Same with the other sports. The volleyball is continuing on two more weeks in the season, and then their regionals will take place. So busy time of year. And again, it's definitely fall out there. A lot of activities going on. Great time. Also, with hunting season, our traditional hunting season is October 15th, which is on Saturday. That's usually the area's general rifle season opens in most parts of the state. Of course, there's other special seasons and different times, but the 15th of October has always been recognized as the 
starting date of hunting season. I can remember back to my earlier years here in Wyoming uh, in high school. We did have hunting vacation. We did have time off that week, but the 15th, everybody was out and going hunting. So rather fun time of year. It looks like the weather is not going to get severe. It looks like some pretty nice hunting weather and numbers are good for a lot of the animals. So I hope everybody gets out. If you're a hunter, good luck on your hunting season coming up. I know we've got a lot of people from out of state come to Wyoming to partake in in our hunting here in the state. Also, upland game uh, seasons are opened up for a lot of different species. So it's a good time to be in the state of Wyoming. Continuing on today with part two of why I live in Wyoming. I've done this in a previous episode, and we went over my number one reason for living in the state of Wyoming. We've talked about our police reports and in Basin, Wyoming, and Bighorn County, and how quiet life is. And also, I got to reflect in this past week. I've been on a trip, went down through Wyoming and Utah into Arizona in the Phoenix area. Of course, Phoenix is a busy city, over 5 million people in that area, and that may be, may be way under the population, but just a busy place with a lot of activities, warm temperatures, but a lot of people. And on the way home, I always make the trip across the northern part of Arizona, go up to Page and across to Kanab and up 15 and, and hit Salt Lake and go through Provo and Heber City and into Evanston and spent the night in Evanston and was glad to be back in the state of Wyoming. I could tell when I got near Evanston and that area, it started to slow down, cut off that Interstate 80. And the next morning, I Always go to Kemmer, go down Interstate 80, and then turn off and head up towards Kemmer. And, and they're not even going into Kemmer, but bypass Kemmer and head up towards Opal and out across the prairie by the Exxon plant and into Farson and then down into South Pass and Lander and Riverton and, and back to the Wind River Canyon and, and into Thermopolis. And I, I just look around at the open spaces and the quietness, the stillness, the beautiful sights, seeing the animals around, the tranquility, and drive down the road there that morning. And I maybe saw a dozen cars where I was driving, just a very quiet morning. And I reflected back, this is definitely why I live in Wyoming. I like the lifestyle. I'm not, I'm over the fast pace and the hustle and bustle. A lot of people like that. There's a lot more things to do, a lot more opportunities, they say. But again, we have a lot of opportunities here for a peaceful life, a restful life. We can always make those trips to the city, but always are lucky enough to come back to our great state of Wyoming. Our temperatures have been beautiful here, starting to cool down. Of course, we're enjoying our beautiful fall weather. And we all know that winter's around the corner and our winters can be very severe. But we always can put on another couple of layers and go outside and get what we need to have done and get inside and get by the fire and enjoy living here in the state of Wyoming. Next, we'll want to talk about some a destination. I talked about this previously in some of our other shows about the National Museum of Military Vehicles. It's located in Dubois, Wyoming. We talked about it as a potential spot to visit in the state. And I have not been previously, and I got a chance to make the trip over. I had company in town and went over and we took it in for the complete day. Now, it's $20 to get to the admission to the museum, but kind of a caveat on that, that's good for two days. And if you have the time, uh, the museum is just outstanding. 
We went for the complete day and, of course, it's a little bit of a trip from Thermopolis and didn't have time or schedule to go the next day. But it's an unbelievable experience, and I highly recommend it for anybody. If you're coming from out of state, out of country, if you're coming, if you're from the state of Wyoming and, and would like to do something, find something to do, make that trip to Dubois. It's a pretty place to go to. But the museum is is first class. I was kind of questioning in my mind, you know, the, the exhibits going in, how would they be? And I'd heard a lot of positive things until I took it in personally. I was just awestruck by the attention to detail and the amount of work that they've put into that museum. The displays and the, and the military equipment that they have, they have everything there. And just some outstanding stories. Got to take an afternoon tour. I went through the um, World War II and we talked about Korea and also about Vietnam. And it was a, outstanding. And, and, and the one story that the guide had shared with us about the Vietnam area. Of course, there was a helicopter. They referred to it as a helicopter war, and they had a helicopter there, a Huey gunship that was sitting there, and they had um, it all rigged up. It was it was ready to fly. And so they told the story about, he was given the tour, the guide was, and there was a gentleman that kept walking around that helicopter and looking. And it's up against the wall, the the left-hand side of that helicopter, and he said to the to the tour guide, this gentleman that had been walking around, and he goes, I, I bet if you uh, go over here by the door, you'll see some holes in that door. And they, so the tour guide knew about these, and he went around, and he said, well, how did you know about it? And the gentleman shared that he had actually been the ones that put the hole in there when they were in a situation where they were firing at the uh, Viet Cong, the North Vietnamese Army, and... Um, but just the just the amount of work they did and just the amount of respect you get and, and they have an area where you can reflect on what this means, what all this means and, and I think it really goes back to where we are now in our country. I mean, we had people that were just unbelievably brave that fought in these wars, that fought for our freedom, fought for who we are today. And it just kind of troubles me sometimes that I think everybody should be required to go through these uh, a exhibit like this and take this in and just recognize, again, as people talk about the last great generation of some of these people that sacrificed and made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. But if you get to Dubois, I mean, make it a point to get to Dubois. There's plenty of stuff to do in the area, but make sure that you take in the museum. It's something that I will highly recommend. I plan on making another trip and going through again because there's so much detail and so much stuff that you miss. But again, you can get a, a ticket. Your ticket's good for two days, so you can take it in part of a day and then enjoy the sights and then come back the next day. Make sure you check on their hours. They're closed on Monday and Tuesday, but go to their website and take a look at it. There's a lot of information on there. But again, if you're in Dubois, Wyoming area, or you're going to be in Wyoming, make it part of your plans to stop by the museum. And finally today, from WyomingHistory.org, The Grave of Alfred Corum, 49er. This is written by Randy Brown and published June of 24th of 2018. The grave of 49er Alfred Corum is located near the summit of Ham's Fork Plateau in Lincoln County in western Wyoming on the Oregon Trail variant called the Sublette Cutoff. The year of his birth is uncertain, 
but based on the marker inscriptions reported at his grave by his contemporary diarist, the date must have been between 1826 or 1827. Unfortunately, Alfred is not included in membership lists for the Henry Coram family compiled much later by descendants. Because he died young, with no children of his own, Alfred was evidently forgotten by later Coram generations, but trail researchers have discovered diary entries that help sketch his life. Alfred Coram was a native of Cooper County, Missouri, one of nine children of Henry and Gilia Lowry Coram. Henry was born in North Carolina in 1795 and was one of seven brothers. Four of his brothers, together with their parents, moved to Kentucky for a few years and then in 1819 moved on to settle in what became the Palestine Township in Cooper County, Missouri, 15 or 20 miles south of Boonville, the county seat. The four brothers who made the move to Cooper County are known to have been Henry, Helly, Hiram, and Hardin Coram. Many descendants of those four brothers still live in the Boonesville area. Henry and Gilla, sometimes called Gilia, had married in 1817 and when they were residing in Madison County, Kentucky. Between 1820 and 1840, Henry and Gilla had five sons and four daughters. Nothing is known of Alfred Coram's life before he left for California in 1849. He probably had been working somewhere in Cooper County, probably as a farmer's hired hand, perhaps his father Henry's place, or for a relative or neighbor. There is no evidence that Alfred ever married. What is known about Alfred Coram is that in 1849, he joined what became known as Clark's Train of Mule Teams, organized and captained by Benedict C. Clark, clerk of the Circuit Court of Cooper County, and comprised of 24 county residents, including four men named Coram. Alfred and his older brother John, and two of their cousins, Simeon, aged 20, and Herod, 24, the son of Heli, and Eveline Lowry Coram. The two sets of brothers, double cousins. Their mothers were sisters, and their fathers were brothers. The company members left their homes on April 10, 1849. They had nine wagons and one other vehicle that Clark at first called a carriage. He later was more specific and referred to it as the Dearborn Wagon, a vehicle that often was light enough to be pulled by one horse or mule. Mules were the company's draft animal of choice. Most wagons on the historic trail were pulled by oxen, which were cheaper, slower, and hardier. At the start of the trip, Bennett Clark in his diary listed Alfred Corm as on the company roster. The diary indicates that the company's journey was mostly routine, but with recurring problems of wagon breakdowns. Clark's group managed, however, to make good time and reach Ash Hollow in present western Nebraska on June 2nd and Fort Laramie just eight days later. West of South Pass, they took the sublet cutoff on June 20th. Five days later, they ferried across the Green River. About this time, Alfred Coram came down with unspecified illness, possibly mountain fever. On July 2, 1849, the company crossed the Ham's Fork of the Green River and climbed the steep 600-foot hill just beyond the river to the top of the Ham's Fork Plateau, a lower spur of Dempsey's Ridge. Clark wrote that they laid by a day because Alfred had been sick for a week or 10 days. Outside of the roster, this is the first time Clark mentioned Alfred. Clark's diary entries of July 3rd and 4th show that Alfred's condition was dire and illustrated the tough chores often forced on Oregon Trail travelers. Clark wrote, Whilst lying by some 200 wagons past us, Alfred continued to grow worse and there was no prospect of his living. It was deemed prudent for the wagons to start the next morning. 
Clark explained that most of the group continued on the westward journey on July 4th, but left the Dearborn and six men to render every service to our dying friend. The account continues, as there was neither wood nor water near us, we concluded to move him about one and a half miles from where we found both. About one o'clock he died without a struggle, and in full possession of all his faculties to the last. It was truly melancholy to reflect that whilst our friend at home were doubtlessly enjoying the great anniversary of national independence in the usual way, we were performing the last sad offices to one of our dead companions. Many years later, Wesley Coram prepared a manuscript that told of his father, Simeon Coram, recollections of the trip. Simeon reported that about his cousin's death were brief. He wrote, he had to leave before he died. John Coram, his brother, stayed with him until he died and buried him and caught up with the crowd. Papa Simeon had to go on with the main crowd as his brother Herod was sick with fever. The Clark Company went on to California, suffering through the usual hardships along the way, as often occurred. The company broke into smaller units. Cyrus Bennett Clark was a sick man when he finally reached California. As soon as he was able, he left San Francisco by ship and returned to Missouri. Alfred Corner's brother, John, quite likely made the return trip with Clark. The 1850 census shows that John, at the time, lived with his parents in Cooper County. The quorum grave is marked by a small stone with an inscription that reads, A quorum died July 4, 1849. It has a, every appearance of being an original headstone of the trail heir. However, immigrant J. Goldsboro Bruff noted a wooden board at the head of the grave when he and Henry Austin passed by the following month. On August 10, Bruff wrote that the inscription upon the board was, Sacred to the memory of Alfred Coram, who died July 4, 1849, aged 22. On the same day, Austin recorded seeing the grave with the same date and age. The only other immigrant of the Gold Rush era who mentioned the grave by name was Andrew Woods on June 5, 1850. These three diary quotations are the only evidence we have of Alfred Coram's age at the time of his death. Sometime between 1850 and 1865, someone apparently replaced what was probably by then a badly worn wooden marker with the current small stone. Not all the information on the original marker was included in the new inscription, most particularly Alfred's age when he died. On August 21, 1865, Dr. Wade Howard, a former resident of Cooper County, saw the grave and recorded an inscription that is identical to the one on the stone still at the grave. Howard stated that Quorum's grave was located about a mile beyond the grave of J.N. Tut. However, because the stone only included Alfred's first initial with his last name, Howard mistakenly noted Alfred's name as Andy and misidentified the town of Belton, Missouri as the location of Henry Quorum's family. The Quorums actually lived near now-defunct Cooper County, town of Bel Air. The U.S. Bureau of Land Management has constructed a fence around the Quorum grave and other five or six graves thought to be nearby. Surface evidence for these other burial sites is scanty, and only one other grave, about 20 feet from Quorum's, can be located with any certainty, but the occupants of that grave cannot be identified. Quorum's grave lies about 300 yards east of the grave of Nancy Jane Hill, who died nearby while traveling west in 1852. 
Just another outstanding story. We've had three of these stories of the settlers that came to our through our state heading to the west. And just the, again, as I always say, just the amount of hardship that they went through. And, and it was just unbearable, some of the trials that they had and the amount of people that passed away. And it's rather great to see that we are trying to maintain these grave sites because they are part of our history of the West. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.